Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Minigame, a podcast about video game stories and why we love them. I'm Michael Ferris. Hello there, Night City! Stanley here with you, and we got another day ahead of us in this city of dreams! At this point, a lot has been said about Cyberpunk 2077. The bugs, glitches, patches, getting pulled from PSN, all the while being a relative runaway financial success. What's less discussed is the game's perspective and attitude. The early hours of the game, as well as the game's marketing, gives the attitude and themes of rebellion and class warfare. But the more you play, those themes slowly fade away, and you come to the realization that Cyberpunk 2077 is not all that cyberpunk. Now, it's important to define exactly what the cyberpunk genre is. We had a whole week dedicated to the genre on Lore Party, so check out some of those episodes. But to quickly summarize, tropes of the genre, such as androids, hackers, technology, hypersexual and hyperviolent societies, have been around since the 1950s. The word cyberpunk was used by author Bruce Bethke in a 1980 short story about computer hackers. From films such as The Matrix and Blade Runner and games such as the Deus Ex series, the genre boils down to a tech-savvy lower class using their technology to fight a stagnant ruling class. Cyberpunk 2077 starts by hitting all of these tropes. The lower class augments themselves in order to get an upper hand in life, Governments and corporations use their wealth and power to oppress that lower class. And the world is full of casual, brutal violence and garishly sexual advertising. As the world and side content opens up in Cyberpunk 2077, the more you find yourself working on behalf of that ruling class, and more for personal reasons instead of benefiting the greater society. One of the main sources of side content are jobs you get from the police department. You basically get conscripted over the phone to do various tasks for them, mostly involving contract killings and notifications of various crimes that your handler believes are worthy of a street-level death penalty without an investigation or a day in court. Not once does your character, nicknamed V, question what they are doing or tries to fight back. They just accept these jobs from the police and get paid for it. The other side jobs you get are pretty similar. Mostly just jobs from local thugs assigning you with busy work with only money and XP as rewards. 
Even the main campaign only loosely pays lip service to the themes of cyberpunk culture. The main narrative has you trying to get a digital brain of anarchist rock star Johnny Silverhand out of your head before you die. The main villain of the plot is the Arasaka Corporation, which creates programs that allow users to capture minds of their enemies. But the quest you go on involves acts of personal vengeance. You just want Johnny out of your head, and Johnny Silverhand wants vengeance for capturing the soul of an old girlfriend. While the quest ends up having altruistic results, the vast majority of the citizens of Night City are oblivious to your goals and their day-to-day -day lives change very little. In contrast, by the end of the first Deus Ex game, the world massively changes depending on your decisions. Despite its primitive aesthetics, the world and consequences of Deus Ex are massive. Despite its higher budget and better graphics, the world of Cyberpunk 2077 feels comparatively tiny. While Cyberpunk 2077 as a piece of software could have used a lot of work, the story, the foundation of the game, is equally shaky and ends up being toothless, and no amount of patches or hotfixes can fix that. Executive producer of the Lore Party Podcast Network is Abu Zafar. Minigame is written and produced by Michael Ferris. Original music for Minigame is composed by Lawrence Kelly. Subscribe to Minigame and all the other Lore Party podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow Minigame on Twitter at Minigame Podcast and visit our website at loreparty.com. Thank you very much for listening.